You are listening to ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. Current efforts to respond to the HIV-AIDS crisis must be considered lacking when 33 million are infected. Healthcare professionals are deeply concerned about this unprecedented public health crisis. But how can the voices of physicians be heard, and what messages do they need to be sending to our world leaders? Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Dr. Kathleen Margolin, and joining me from Toronto, Canada, is Stephen Lewis, co-director of AIDS Free World, former UN Special Envoy for HIV-AIDS in Africa, and former Deputy Executive Director of UNICEF. Welcome, Stephen Lewis. Thank you. Your organization speaks out loud and clear about how HIV and AIDS is being addressed. Recently, you have been critical of the U.N., calling them stubborn and sloppy in reference to the U.N. AIDS epidemic update of 2007. Can you explain why you take issue with the report? Well, I didn't take issue with the actual results of the report. I took issue with the way in which they were fashioned. The report was memorable because the numbers of people infected internationally declined from 40 million to 33 million from the previous report. And this decline in numbers was based on a different methodology, a different process of epidemiology. And for many years, a number of thoughtful epidemiologists had been saying to the UN, look, the way in which you calculate the numbers is wrong. There are fewer people infected than you're saying. It's still a catastrophe, but don't use the large numbers because one day they're going to catch up with you and the donors, the people who give us the money, will feel that you've been inflating the numbers purposely and it will be even tougher to get the money we need to address the pandemic. And I think those criticisms were valid and I wish UNAIDS, instead of being quite so arrogant, had accepted them. And that's what I criticized. But the new numbers, 33 million infected, are still pretty well a nightmare. Is it too soon to tell, or do you think that you've already witnessed some of the impact of that misinformation? Well, that's an interesting question. It's certainly true that the commitments made, for example, to Africa in the famous G8 summit at Glen Eagles in 2005 are not being met. Bono and Geldof just had a press conference three days ago in which they said that it was outrageous that the G8 countries were betraying the commitments so quickly and that only 14% of the monies which they promised had so far been dispersed. And, and that's really it's interesting that Bono and Geldof would be naive enough to believe the G8 in the first place, but I'm glad that they are coming out swinging now. Now, is that related somehow to the decline in numbers and the governments are saying to themselves, we don't need to provide as much money because we're not dealing with the same numbers? I don't know. I actually doubt it, but I don't know. Right. I guess you can't know for sure, but it's not going to help. No, it certainly won't help because there were many stories at the time which noted what had happened. You believe that AIDS Free World will be a powerful advocate for a new international agency for women at the UN. And you sound optimistic about persuading the UN to create such an agency. Can you explain why this is so important? It's important because within the UN, there is no voice for women. I mean, it's quite astonishing. There are little pockets of voices. I don't want to be inappropriate with UNIFEM, for example, which is a UN agency for women. And there's a special advisor to the Secretary General, and there's a division for the advancement of women in the Secretariat. But altogether, in terms of numbers and money, the impact is tiny. 
you know, altogether they may have about $60 million. I'm probably inflating the figure for the world. An organization like UNICEF, Acting for Children, has over $2 billion. So there's never been an adequate representation of women driven by the United Nations. And when there was a panel of UN reform that looked at these issues, they said the response of the UN to women has been abysmal. We should have a new international agency for women. And that, frankly, would be one of the most exciting things that could possibly happen within the UN. And it looks as though it may be happening uh, there is a very significant discussion taking place now. I've seen a number of ambassadors myself from various countries in the last two or three weeks talking to them about the international agency and the importance of getting it implemented. And frankly, before I was feeling somewhat crestfallen about it, now I have little palpitations of optimism. I have a sense that we may well get the agency before the end of the year. We'll have an undersecretary general equal to all the other senior people in the UN. We'll have an excellent structure, and I hope we'll have a billion dollars to start. How do you foresee that agency as being more effective in addressing public health issues such as HIV and AIDS? because it will have power on the ground. That's the whole secret. If you get an agency that simply has a bunch of consultants in New York, forget it. It'll be another agency that disappoints people. But if you have an agency which has authority on the ground, that is staff in the countries, so that they can support the activist women's groups, so that they can participate in the education of women and girls about HIV and AIDS, so they can make sure that there are midwives and nurses who are competent to deal with women's problems, so that they can make sure there are enough counselors available to do the counseling around testing for HIV. When you have a women's agency, they can be the voice for women and with women in the promotion of protection against the virus. Your work resonates strongly with the medical community. Let's talk about physician involvement in the AIDS crisis. The shortage of doctors, nurses, and other vital health care workers has been a huge problem in addressing HIV-AIDS. What is your take on the problem? Oh, the problem is of monumental dimensions. It is said that Africa needs more than, for example, Africa alone needs more than a million health professionals and quasi-professionals, and the lack of physicians and nurses and pharmacists and administrators is massive. So there has to be a tremendous retraining program. A lot of the shortage is attributable to the AIDS virus because health professionals have been decimated in numbers equivalent to the general population. And very often, the doctors and nurses are poached by the Western world, particularly the United Kingdom, but also to a lesser but important extent by Europe, Australia, Canada, and the United States. And that, I think, is almost unconscionable to actively solicit the doctors and nurses of the developing world, particularly Africa, where they're so desperately needed. Quite naturally, many of them are tempted to leave because their working conditions are often intolerable and their income is minuscule. And yet, they play such a tremendous role. And Physicians on this side of the world, in North America, for example, if they were able to give some time to magnificent organizations like Partners in Health or Doctors Without Borders or Doctors of the World, I think it would be tremendously appreciated. And 
people like Paul Farmer, who's legendary and rightly so, with Partners in Health, has shown that you can train medical professionals more quickly and that you can transfer various tasks. It's called task shifting is the medical term. You can transfer tasks to nurses or others of lesser medical knowledge and authority and still get the work done. Those are great on-the-ground suggestions. You're very frank when you talk about what the leaders at the UN should be doing to speak openly and clearly about issues so that the public will benefit from their leadership. What can the many healthcare professionals who are deeply concerned about the AIDS crisis do to lead in their own right? I think in much the same way, in accepting the reality that this crisis is at the moment outstripping our response and that even though we can be very excited about putting an additional million people into treatment in 2007, the excitement is diminished when you realize that two and a half million people were newly infected in 2007, so we're losing that battle. And the voices of health professionals, you know, I think of an outfit like Physicians for Human Rights in Boston. It speaks authoritatively for the physician response to the AIDS pandemic, and the voice carries with it a lot of muscle. Uh, a lot of gravitas because it's doctors speaking and everyone listens. And so when Physicians for Human Rights sign something, it means something. I think the more voices we have from medical associations and medical groups, the more that they are prepared on the basis of their very considerable knowledge to criticize the international response, the better it will be. I mean, people who have knowledge and authority have a moral responsibility to say things. To point out, for example, that the United States is spending more than $3 billion a week to fight the war in Iraq, and we raise barely $10 billion a year to confront the pandemic of AIDS. That's just not tolerable in a world with ethical principles. You mentioned some of the rock star celebrities who have tried to put some pressure on governments to meet economic commitments and to further address this public health crisis. Do you also feel that physician organizations or physicians as individuals might be able to help encourage G8 countries to meet those commitments? I absolutely do. I think the doctors tend to underestimate the impact they have and were the sort of physicians of the world to put a declaration or a petition or a voice if they were to seek to be heard at the G8 conference somebody would have to hear them. You know, I remember back to the Physicians for Nuclear Responsibility back in the Cold War era when we were fighting the prospect of nuclear proliferation and the physicians in Russia or the Soviet Union at the time and the physicians in the United States formed an alliance and it had an extraordinary impact on governments. I mean, I think people generally concede that the Physicians for Social Responsibility or Nuclear Responsibility, whatever they were called at the time, made a very great impression on governments around the dangers of atomic warfare or proliferation. And that's the kind of thing you would want from physicians today. If listeners are interested in more information about the work that you are doing with AIDS Free World, you have a website, www.aidsfreeworld.org. There are a number of essays and links on there. And you have fairly recently written a book, Race Against Time. There are lots of resources. 
Yes, I hope that's true. AIDS Free World is relatively new, uh, but it is an advocacy organization whose voice, I think, will continue to be heard. Certainly, we're going to make every possible effort. Thank you for listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Kathleen Margolin, and my guest has been Stephen Lewis, co-director of AIDS Free World and former UN Special Envoy for HIV AIDS in Africa. Stephen Lewis, thank you so much for the interesting conversation. Pleasure to talk to you. Thank you.